Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to part two. That's my best Matthew McConaughey, and that was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, man. This is the Survival Show, co-host, Survival Show Podcast co-host, Mr. Craig Cottle. Back at you today for part two of part one and two of survival training. Why are we talking about survival training? Well, here's the big reason, because I've been away. And I've been incredibly busy. I've been doing a lot of survival training. I needed to make a podcast happen. And I did not have to prepare to do this one. But I can offer some critical and important information without preparation. So, yeah. I shouldn't say I haven't been prepping. I've been prepping for this particular podcast for several years now, I guess, is a better way of saying it. Because I could talk about this subject without writing anything down and just talk out of my head. So I usually like to have an orderly set of, of notes to reference as I go through a podcast and make sure I cover everything. No need for that today. I've taught this material so many times that we're going we're gonna to crank on through it. Yesterday in part one, what we did is we dug into basically the first night of a survival training at Nature Reliance School, how we do things. Today, I wanted to dig into day two. We'll also talk about our testing process and how we go about doing that. And the whole time I'm going through this, I think it would be worth your time to to invest some thought into how I'm doing this and specifically how you can apply it. Now, I'll give you some action steps at the end of this on how you can apply what it is that we do at Nature Reliance School to your life. But one of the things that's hard to do is to say that, hey, you need to do it this way because, you know, at this point I was talking to someone about some survival things this morning and she at a at a meeting and she's been married, this gal in this meeting that I was in, she's been married for about eight years and has got two little kids, right? Well, I've been married for 26 and got two grown adult kids. So the way she has to handle survival is totally different than the way I have to handle it. So with that said... Let's dig into this day two and find what we can dig out of it, what we can mine out of our day two of Nature Reliance School survival training, and uh, and then apply it to you. So here, here's how we look at things. So there's a lot of different ways to approach survival. And when I was creating the content that became a survival level one course, what I wanted to do was develop a system of training, a system of thinking even, and the reason I wanted to do that is because the critical component that causes problems for survival and disaster readiness is stress. And stress is huge, and it causes a lot of significant problems for disaster readiness and survival. So how do we handle stress? And the big thing that comes out, I read a lot of books. I mean, when I, I didn't read an article or two. I wrote a, read a lot of books of how uh, handling stress how to go about handling stress in our daily lives, how to go about handling stress in disaster. 
And the, there's one thing that keeps coming up because I continue reading this stuff is you've got to have a system or way of thinking about doing things that you can rely upon under stress straight up. You need to have a way because if you just think, okay, something happens and I'll respond. If you haven't trained specifically for that, or you haven't thought about how you're going to work your way through that, even mentally, then you're going to have significant problems and failure. So the thing that I determined that we would utilize at Nature Line School as the framework, the foundation, if you will, of how we teach is what's referred to as the law of threes. Now, I get some flack from some of the survival uh, Nazis out there because this is a, a really old method that was put together by the United States government, the military in specific. And <clears throat> because there's times where these things are not in order that I'm going to share them. But what I do in the midst of training people in the law of threes is I also teach them how to critically think under stress, which very few people do anymore. So with that said, here's the law of threes. You can't live more than three minutes without blood flow and oxygen flow. You can't live more than three hours without maintaining your core body temp. You can't live more than three days without water. You can't live more than three weeks without food. You can't live more than three months without human assistance. Okay, so that's our basic framework. And so what I go about doing is then teaching people in order, as I listed there, the things that are what I would refer to as skill-based. So that's where we start doing some, you know, for three minutes of blood flow and oxygen flow you got to have. We talk about wilderness and remote first aid. For you got you got to have core body temperature maintenance within three hours. That's where we teach shelter building and and uh, fire building. You got to have water within three days. That's where we teach water purification. You you got to have food within three weeks. That's where we teach edible medicinal plants and gigs and and traps and stuff like that. And then you got to have human assistance within three months. That's where we teach communication and team building skills throughout. I mean, starting right off the bat, we're doing things in class that will help people build their communication skills and their, uh, specifically their team building skills and the ability to work with others. I want to emphasize that it's real important to understand that this is a real general way of considering survival. It's not absolutes, obviously. Uh, you can live a lot longer than three days without water, but this does give us, a, a again, a framework, if you will, of understanding of our needs, not necessarily our wants, but our needs in an order that makes sense for a beginner. Then as we develop our students as students and survivalists and those that are prepared for disaster, then we can, well, we start off day one teaching them how to critically think and how to look at information and, and gather what's important information, get rid of what information is not important, and then make critical decisions based on that info and intelligence. So it's it's something that we teach along the way as well, uh, particularly as we start developing students to be thinkers and, and not just doers. Uh, we want them to be doers and thinkers. So that's a, that's a real foundation that's important. Now, so right off the bat, we're going to look at the statistically most likely injuries that happen in the backcountry. That's going to include uh, ankle injuries. That's going to include burns and small cuts, not necessarily big cuts. I mean, we look at big cuts. We actually talk about tourniquets and hemostatic gauze and stuff of that nature in first aid. But what we did is we went through the data that's offered by the Wilderness Medical Society. I think it's a Wilderness Medical Society that documents the data on such things. 
and looked at the most likely injuries in the backcountry because this a survival class is not a wilderness and remote first aid class. It's a survival class. So we've got a lot of subject to cover, but we don't want to forego first aid. So we look at the top five most likely injuries, and then we make sure that we teach people how to handle all those, and then we move on. After wilderness and remote first aid, we start digging into into uh, land navigation, which is basically a way of teaching people not to get lost. So we look at the fundamentals of a compass, and then we look at all the pieces and the parts of a map. I'm a big fan of maps over compasses, and it seems interesting to me that if you if you stopped at a trailhead and talked to people as they were going into a wilderness area and asked them how many had a compass, more of them would say they had a compass than a map. And a map, from my perspective, is a lot more important than that compass because you can make it all happen with a map. And there's just so many things that you can make happen with a uh, compass. And so that's why we're big fans of working through maps and understanding the colors and the scales and declination. And if there's grid lines on it, how we can read those and then take it from there. Next on the list is we start... Hey, and if you're hearing a little wind, that's because I'm outdoors, you all. I could not stand to be indoors anymore, so I came out to record this. So thank you for dealing with that, and my apologies to producer Ben. If he has to deal with that through editing, I apologize. But I wasn't about to sit at the house and do this podcast today, I'm just telling you. With that said, after we do land navigation, we uh, the reason we do that is we want people to be able to get on a trailhead and go, okay, I know how to read a map, and I know when I'm coming up to the fork of a trail, which side I should take, how to orient that map to north, and in, in physical north, where you know you look at the map and you know you're pointing it north as you're standing on the trail. Some real fundamental stuff, because we go into that in depth in a land navigation class and to the point of looking at coordinates and we look at compasses and maps and grid systems and how to communicate points to other people and how to record and draw lines and go from one point to another and avoid obstacles that's all land navigation class so in a survival class we're not digging into that information we're just looking at these fundamentals after that we start digging into the next step of the law threes which is maintaining your core body temp so first out of the bat we talk about clothing uh, we talk about how to do things so that you don't sweat. And uh, because most of the fears or most of the concerns come from cold weather related events rather than hot weather related events, we'll look at clothing and avoidance of cotton when we need to and when we actually need to use cotton. Uh, we'll take a look at things such as how to dress so that you're slightly chilly when you're doing things as you get started because you're going to warm up and you don't sweat in that manner. And then we go into actual shelter building. So what we do is we teach people some of the modern tools that they can bring in, as well as some of the primitive tools that they can bring in. Tarps are huge to us at Nature Reliance School. Tarps need to go with you every time you go outdoors. Uh, they're two, uh, what I call the trifecta of survival. Uh, it is another one of those items that is the trifecta of survival, which is it's too expensive. I mean, too inexpensive, too small, and doesn't weigh very much and so why not take a tarp at the very least why not at least take a 55 gallon drum garbage bag man i love garbage bags in a survival kit can't 
can't accent them enough. Had a guy this weekend in class, I think I mentioned this in part one, he's been to nine different survival schools. This was, I think, his ninth one. And he's like, I've never heard anybody say that you should take a garbage bag. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. I mean, that just absolutely blows my mind. The garbage bag is it. It's, shel- it's immediate shelter. It's immediate shelter. Cut a hole in the bottom of it, put it over your head. You got a windbreak. You got a, a rain break. I mean, immediately. You don't have to do anything else. And sit your butt down on the ground or sit your butt down on your pack or something. Holy mackerel. But with that said, we go into shelter building. We we actually spend a fair amount of time learning fundamental knots. And this is another thing that I differ with most survival instructors in that you can learn 20 different knots in a class and you won't remember them a week from then. So basically what I do is we focus on two to three and we work on the two to three that I know work because, and this is where I also differ with a lot of people, I've made them work and utilized them for nearly 50 years of my life, and you simply cannot argue with me on that because I've done it for a long, long time. And so they work. We look at two or three. Um, particularly, we're going to, the big one that everybody is like, what, Craig, you do what? Yeah, half hitches, two half hitches. Oh my gosh, I've used two half hitches for everything on the farm, in the woods hunting fishing so much stuff i've used a half hitch for it's just it's mind-numbing how often i can use a half hitch i can set up any tarp configuration that you want me to set up with half hitches there's no doubt in my mind and so uh, we focus on that and then we set up some tarps and this is where we start engaging people in a little bit of stress inoculation and so i might say okay you did those knots really well now tie those knots one-handed Or, yep, that's a good-looking tarp. Now tear it down, and you've got to build it with your eyes closed, which is to simulate, hey, you've got to set it up in the dark. And on and on and on. I do a lot of things, and I don't want to divulge all that because I want you to come to a class and actually experience it. But we do some stressful things there. Uh, I call them strange and wonderfuls because it's just a fun way to let people get stressed and not get stressed. And that's one of the things that we try to teach is that no matter what happens to us, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. That's what we say a lot. It's just a thing. It's nothing. It's not that important. It's just a thing that's happened to us. And that way we have a response to that stress rather than not having a a response to the stress. We know how to handle ourselves under stress. So, yeah, we go about building some shelters. Sometimes we do that solo. Sometimes we do that in teams. Sometimes when we do it in teams, one person can use their right hand and the other person can use their left hand. And sometimes we do it with broken ankles, simulated, that is. And, uh, yeah, you know, we just add some stressors in there as we go into it. Then we go into fire building. And I completely and totally forego bow drill fire making because – I assume that the people that leave a nature reliance school class from that point forward are going to pre-plan their trips better. And when I say pre-plan their trips, there's certain things they're going to take in their pocket every day when they go forward, or at least I've told them to. And one of those things is a lighter and in their go bag or in their survival kit, whatever you want to call it, that they leave in their vehicle or they take into work with them, whatever it might be. I tell them they need to have a lighter. And then as a backup, they also need to have a lighter and a ferro rod. And so that way you have something that is an immediate source of making flame, particularly when you set it up for success. Okay. So we do a lot of ferro rod fires, 
we make a fair rod fire. And sometimes if we have students in class that have made a lot of fires like that, then we'll make them do it with no arms. Uh, we'll do it with, uh, when I, I mean, not no arms. <laughs> that would be difficult. We might tie one hand behind their back or put tape on their hand or some variation of it. We'll do different things. Or at least just simply tell them they can only use one hand. And that way they're forced to deal with what would be a simulation of an injury to an arm, a broken shoulder, or a forearm, or a humerus, or whatever it might be. And that way they have to work through that. And you can you know, hold a ferro rod with your foot. You can hold it with your mouth. Uh, there's all kinds of different things that you can do. And that way we're simulating some of these stresses that have happened in the real world and helping them work through them as best they can. And so as you dig into, and again, I wanted to give you some action steps. I'll give you a couple right here on, along the way, is you should be practicing like that right now. You should be in your practice, in your training, you should be coming up with and at least considering the problems to you effectively doing survival and then you practicing those things so that it's, if you ever need them, it's not the first time you've ever had to do it, right? So after fire building, we start digging into water purification. And I talk about the ways that you can gather water from the environment that's going to be clean, particularly snow and rain and dew. Uh, those are the th three big ones that we feel pretty comfortable with unless it's some really strange situation or area. I uh, feel very comfortable telling you that you can take those water in and use them uh, properly in the body. It's not going to have a negative effect on you. Then we start digging into a discussion on purification versus filtration. There's a big difference. Filtration is there for bacterial contamination. Uh, purification will help most viral contamination. And then we have at least a discussion on chemical contamination and how nearly impossible it is to have a device that will clean chemical contaminants because chemical contaminants are so wide-ranging and various and different that you can't build an apparatus that's going to take care of them all. So that's what we do for fire building. And that's what we do for water purification. And so I have about 10 different filters and purifiers that I lay out and talk about the different scenarios where they would work. Because as I look out on a group, some of the people that are in class are backpackers. Some of them are going to be law enforcement or military. Some of them are families. Some of them are singles, solos, and they're never going to hike or go outdoors or with anybody. Some of them are hunters. And so there's just a wide array of people that come to a Nature Reliance School class. And that's one of the reasons I want to approach this subject with you all is that there's a wide array of you all that are listening to us. And so I wanted to, you know, talk about the different, you know, I have a Sawyer Mini. I have a Lifestraw. I have um, a Rapid Pure. I have Caden and Hiker Pro. I have a SteriPen. And some of those are good and some of those are absolutely garbage and should never be utilized again. And so... Depending upon the group that's in front of me, I'll lay those out and explain why some of them are garbage, particularly SteriPens are stupid. You shouldn't use those. And then uh, the other things that we have and how to go about utilizing them to their utmost effectiveness. That way you're utilizing them properly so that you don't make the mistake that a lot of people make and use them improperly and they're basically not used. If they're not used properly, they won't work at all. Just a case in point, just to illustrate this point, most, and this includes Sawyer, Rapid Pure, and Lifestraw, when they did the studies on them on if they'll clean bacterial contaminants like Giardia cryptosporidium, they did that with tap water. 
that had those contaminants that was put into it. They did not utilize water from the environment that had sedimentation in it. And so when water has any sort of sedimentation, meaning any water that you have that's somewhat cloudy, then those apparatuses do not work well at all. None of them do. And so that's something that most people are not aware of. So we, we go through the process on how to clean water, including boiling, and to pre-filter it and then utilize the filters in it for survival situations so you're set up for success rather than setting somebody up for failure. After that, we dig into edible medicinal plants. And one of the things I try to highlight people is how to go about studying edible medicinal plants. And I talk about the resources that are available out there, edible and uh, identifying and harvesting edible wild plants by Steve Brill, Botany and Day by Thomas Alpole, and uh, Peterson Guys. Those are the three big ones that we really like. Uh, we've talked about those in detail in other podcasts, so listen back on, on those. But we go into edible plants, and then we go into, and I usually show a trap or two and a gig. And the reason I show a trap or two is just the same reason I show a knot or two. Is because, one more time, kids, come over here and sit down with Uncle Craig. Uncle Craig's been doing this stuff for a while now. And I haven't had to use 20 different traps to catch critters. And you can't argue with my experience on that. You can argue that you like showing traps because it gets people jazzed and they like puzzle building and they like arts and crafts in the woods. Yeah, that's what most of these schools are doing. But from a nature reliance school perspective... We just go with the statistics and in a wooded wilderness event and that sort of uh, ecosystem, there's two to three traps at work and they're going to work every time. So why have a bunch of different ones? Because certain ones are going to work. Let's just stick with them. That way you can actually retain the information rather than just learn it and forget it, which is a big deal for us. And then uh, that's three weeks, right? Then three months is human assistance. We really in depth talk about communication skills. And when I say communication skills, we learn how to deal with people that are being aggressive towards us. And you should too. Uh, For example, on test day, I don't want to get too much into test day, what happens on the last day, but there's some times where I am talking to people in a way that I don't like talking to people. I talk to them rather mean. And if I see that it's bringing people down, then we, we stop what we're doing and we talk about how to fix them, how to help them learn how to let things roll off their back, how to listen and get information and assess something rather than getting our feelings hurt. And we specifically learn how to communicate more effectively so that we don't do that to others, which is just as important as anything, is knowing how to communicate in such a way that we're not causing mental anguish or stress on other people because that doesn't do anything to help people. All that does is help bring bring people down so that's it you all uh that's part two uh here's some action steps for you get out and train number one get out and do whatever build some fires build those shelters get those water purifier purifiers and water filters out and go put them in a creek somewhere and test it out you can get test kits from usually the division of water quality in your state And you can actually test water for different contaminants in it. So uh, you can check it before and after and see if your water filtration or water purification is actually working. And that way you have the skills as well as the mindset and the tactics and the gear to make it work for you no matter what it is that you're doing. So that would be the biggie is to get out and train. But number two, do it in a systematic way. 
Uh, consider our method of STOPA, which I didn't talk about. I've talked about it enough on this podcast. But STOPA and the Law of Threes is being a foundation for you. And if that works for you, then great. If it doesn't, you need to find a way of thinking, a system of thinking, so that you can, under stress, very, very important here, you all, under stress, you can perform as maximally efficient as you possibly can. So that's it. I hope that gives you some insight into how we do classes. Specifically, I wanted to give you that insight so you can think about how I do it, develop your own plan on how you want to do it, and then that way you have the ability to prepare yourself and those around you for the eventuality that we might face some sort of survival or disaster-related event. Hey, as a reminder, check out all our sponsors in the description below. That includes tinysurvivalgear.com, tinysurvival.com. Uh, take a look at the survivalshow.com website. Pick up some of the tiny survival guides on Amazon. They're crushing it over there, you all, crushing it. And obviously jump into a Nature Reliance School class and see what we can teach you as you come into class in 2020. So well, that's it. That's, that's it for me, Craig Cottle, Director of Nature Reliance School, co-host of the Survival Show podcast. Thanks for joining me today. So glad to be back with you all. You all see me again next week as well because I'm back. I'm back in the saddle again. Man, that's my best Aerosmith. That was terrible, wasn't it? Back in the saddle. But there you have it. I'll see you again soon, you all. Talk to you again soon, whichever way we do it here on the podcast. Appreciate your support as always. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. 